When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The rose water collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. The Only Way is Through, a new podcast in partnership with iHeartRadio and Under Armour. Players, coaches, and athletes will share intimate and personal stories of performing at the highest level. Here is Canadian heptathlete Georgia Ellenwood. The reason I won is because on that day I was confident. I need to continue that mentality to understand that I can be an Olympic athlete. I can compete with the best in the world and just perform. Listen to The Only Way is Through, available now on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Annie, and welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. As we record this episode, and as you are listening to it, if you're listening to it when it comes out uh, into your feed, um, Mother's Day is approaching in the United States. And so thought we would have our classic update on a Mother's Day. And as some of you know, I one of the things I first did when I got this job, one of my prior things that I, I was working on was um, I was the producer of Stuff I Never Told You videos. Uh, we used to have a YouTube show and I highly recommend checking it out if you if you haven't already. But one of the fa- my favorite videos, that we ever did was on the history of Mother's Day. And um, because I love horror movies and um, <laughs> the old co-host and creator of Step Mom Never Told You, she, she loves like reality shows. We did a really fun, I think it was fun, mashup of like horror and a reality show and it was called Pine Holidays. This story is really, really interesting. And um, I, I I recommend checking it out. And another thing I, I wanted to bring in here is that um, I also work on uh, another podcast called Saver. And one of the earlier episodes we did in our, our series in the show was um, on brunch. And Mother's Day is the second biggest day for brunch in the United States. And it all started out as this whole, like, well, we'll give the the mother a day off from cooking and cleaning. And it's just still still a very popular tradition for, for people to take their mothers out for brunch. Also, I do want to recognize that this day can be difficult and triggering for people who have maybe not the best relationships with their moms um, or don't have moms in their lives or for people who want children but cannot have them. We see you and we're thinking about you. I hope that you enjoy this classic episode about the history of Mother's Day. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And happy upcoming Mother's Day to all of our mothers listening And to my mother, even though she's not listening. Yep, same here. 
Um, I was so surprised that even though Stuff Mom Never Told You has been in existence in podcast land since 2009. Wow. We've never done an episode on Mother's Day. Crazy. I know. So no time like the present, right? Right. Because Mother's Day is right around the corner. And let's start with just a snapshot of Mother's Day today and then talk about where Mother's Day came from because it's fabulous. It has, yeah, really interesting origins yeah. and a really uh, grumpy originator. <laughs> yes. So just to give you an idea of how big Mother's Day is today, in 2011 in the United States alone, spending was expected to reach $16.3 billion, with the average adult spending more than $140 on gifts, according to the National Retail Federation, which $140 on gifts makes me feel like a very cheap daughter. Yeah, I I go big on her birthday and Christmas. Mother's Day is more like, let's just get together. Yeah, more the the quality time kind of gift. Yeah, and two-thirds of Americans will celebrate Mother's Day with flowers, and more than 30% will celebrate with jewelry. And I'm like, who are these people who can afford to buy jewelry? (laughs) Maybe it's like crafty jewelry that they get at a local shop. Like macaroni noodle bracelets. Right. There we As go. As a 29-year-old, I'm sure I could do that for my mother and she'd appreciate it. It is also, in addition to being very popular for florists, it is the year's most popular holiday for dining out because that's the whole thing about Mother's Day. Don't let mom cook, right? Someone else cook. Right. You get one day off, lady. Yeah, and, and it this won't, is it. It won't be dad. Nope. It's going to be somebody at a restaurant because about 75 million U.S. adults were expected to dine out in 2011, according to the National Restaurant Association. And what else do we do for mom on Mother's Day? We give her a card because, you know, we, we want to let someone else express <laughs> some kind sentiment. It's the number three holiday for card exchange behind Christmas and Valentine's Day, according to Hallmark. And just to give you a hint at how grumpy the Mother's Day founder was about all of this stuff that we do for Mother's Day these days. She once said, a printed card means nothing except that you are too lazy to write to the woman who has done more for you than anyone in the world. Anna Jarvis, founder (laughs) of Mother's Day. (laughs) Yikes. I mean, I guess I could break out the crayons and make my own with construction paper. Yeah. I, I don't and stickers. No, Sally would be super excited if yeah. I did that. She she kept my baby teeth, so she'd probably keep a construction paper card. Maybe you could work the baby teeth oh, into gross. the card. Gross. Or <laughs> tape them on. <laughs> or some kind of bracelet. A, bracelet, yes. Now, the, uh, the US is not the only country of course to celebrate Mother's Day. Different countries around the world have their own forms of Mother's Day celebrations. Yeah, uh, on the Arab calendar, Mother's Day falls on March 21st to loosely coincide with the start of spring. And in Panama, it's on December 8th when the Catholic Church honors the Virgin Mary. August 12th in Thailand is the birthday of Queen Sirikit, regarded as the mother of all ties, and that is when they celebrate Mother's Day as well. Yeah, and there are a number of countries that deem International Women's Day as their default Mother's Day and do all sorts of nice things for mothers and women alike. Now, for our British listeners, though, Mothering Sunday is when it all goes down. This is a centuries-old celebration on the fourth Sunday of Lent, and it began as a spring Sunday designated for people to visit their area's main cathedral or mother church, which led to family reunions, which led to 
the British version of Mother's Day. And in 1913, this Christian tradition was revived by Constance Smith, who was inspired by Anna Jarvis, who started Mother's Day in the United States. And one of the traditions um, associated with Mothering Sunday slash Mother's Day in Britain is giving a Simnel cake to your mom. And Simnel cakes look delicious. They're a light fruit cake with marzipan layers. Oh, oh no. <laughs> I think marzipan is like, it's got to be the worst thing in the universe. Really? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But my mother, you know, I've said she flies to Germany and she'll bring me marzipan candy from Germany and it's like the most disappointing thing because it's like, oh, chocolate, yay. And you bite into it, you're like, oh, God, it tastes like furniture polish. I've never had marzipan. A lot of people like it. I, get, I, I My palate cannot handle the marzipan. Perhaps I should not make my Simnel cake for my mother. <laughs> for Mother's Day. I don't want to stop you. I'm just saying maybe taste it first. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of listener response. I know. I'm sorry. No, it's okay to eat your own marzipan or not. <laughs> but let's get back to the United States and to the origin of Mother's Day, which you could also call a tale of two Annas. I coined that. I think I'm going to write a book about it. Um, In 1868, Anna Jarvis, the elder, organized a Mother's Friendship Day in Grafton, West Virginia, to reunite families separated during the Civil War. It was not intended as a celebration of your mother, but as a vehicle for organized social and political action by all mothers. So it wasn't so much like, let's sit down and eat brunch and talk about how awesome you are for raising me. But it was like, you know, let's get together and build our community. Jarvis and other women organized picnics and other events to go along with Mother's Friendship Day as pacifist events to unite former foes. And on top of this, Anna Jarvis, the elder, who was a pacifist, obviously, and an activist, also organized Mother's Work Days to improve sanitation and prevent deaths from disease-bearing insects and seepage of polluted water. And her early Mother's Day work clubs also tended to wounded soldiers of both sides during the Civil War. And Mother's Day connections with... War is going to come up yet again. And another notable woman who helped kick off this Mother's Day movement was Julia Ward Howe, whose name might ring a bell because she wrote Battle Hymn of the Republic. Mm -hmm. And in 1872, that Boston poet, pacifist, and suffragist established a day for mothers and peace not long after the Franco-Prussian War. So from the very beginning, uh, Mother's Day before it really crystallized when Anna Jarvis the Younger started it. It was really uh, rooted in peace efforts. Yeah, in 1870, Julia Ward Howe wrote the Mother's Day Proclamation. Shall I read a little bit of it? Please. We women of one country will be too tender to those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injure theirs. From the bosom of a devastated earth, a voice goes up with our own. It says, disarm, disarm. So good dramatic reading. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, very pacifist roots. And when Anna Jarvis the Elder dies, Anna Junior picks up the torch, and she decides that her mother obviously was quite a lady mm-hmm. and deserved some honor. 
Right. Anna Jr. persuaded churches in Grafton and Philadelphia to dedicate their services to mothers on the second Sunday in May of 1908. And she had really decided back a year before that a special day was needed to honor mothers' sacrifices. Um, it was quickly adopted. People, people got behind it relatively quickly for a new holiday. And in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson recognized Mother's Day. In the first decades of the holiday, it was celebrated by a church service. And during the church service, you'd wear carnations, red for a mother who's alive or white for one who has passed. They would even hand out awards for the oldest or newest mothers and for the mother of the most children. But Jarvis really wanted it to be something personal, where you celebrate your mother, which is why Mother's Day is mother apostrophe S, not mother's apostrophe. Yeah, she clearly thought her mother was wrong on that count. <laughs> let's not celebrate all. Let's just celebrate ours. Celebrate yours. Yeah, she, you know, a, a, just something, just a quiet day with your mom. And the reason why it's in May is because she originally wanted it to happen on her mom's birthday, mm -hmm. I believe. But they couldn't get together a special church service soon enough, so they had to push it. And Father's Day lagged way behind. Way behind. Um, it was not officially recognized, FYI, until 1972 when old Richard Nixon signed it into law. Yeah. People weren't pushing that quite as hard as Mother's Day. But so, you know, we mentioned that it, it gained a lot of traction early on and, and really picked up speed. But the evolution of Mother's Day did not make Anna happy. She was horrified by the rapid commercialization of the holiday and spent years writing letters to the president about how Mother's Day retailers should be stopped. Yeah, one of the reasons why Mother's Day quickly became so popular was because retailers were like, whoa, we just got a new holiday that people are going to need to buy a lot of things for. And Jarvis had none of that. In 1923, for instance, she crashed a confectioner's convention in Philadelphia. Right, and two years later, she crashed a, crashed a convention of the American War Mothers who used Mother's Day to fundraise and was arrested for disturbing the peace. Oh. <laughs> yeah, dis disturbing the peace, you pacifist woman. Oh, dear. Um, and in 1934, she succeeded in keeping the post office from using Mother's Day on a three-cent stamp in honor of the painting Whistler's Mother. I mean, Jarvis really did not want Mother's Day going so big. Yeah, and in 1944, she went so far as to distribute thousands of celluloid flower buttons to churches and schools asking that they be sold or given away in the hope that it would decrease the Mother's Day demand for fresh-cut flowers and reduce the floral industry's profits. She was like, you know, you are going to stay home, you're going to go to church, you're going you're gonna to wear your carnation, you're going to sit around the table, and you're going to tell your mother how much you love her. And it, I, by God, if you buy her anything, I will bring the wrath of Anna Jarvis down on you. If that card is not homemade, <laughs> my goodness. But the thing is, it's interesting that it spun out of control in a way so quickly. Why? Why did it catch on? Because, you know, it's just, it's a holiday. I mean, it took until 1972 for Father's Day to be officially recognized. But all of a sudden from 1907 to, you know, a, a decade later, people are going wild about it? Well, you know, we live in a big world, Kristen. Yeah. It can be scary sometimes. And when changes happen, people tend to hold on 
to old things from the past that make them feel comfortable. Like their moms. Right. Literally. Like their moms. Not that moms are old things. <laughs> yes, we, do, we don't mean to make anybody upset. But during this changing world, Mother's Day appealed to profoundly conservative values around women's roles in the family at a time when they're being challenged by the new woman. This new woman who drank alcohol and wore makeup. Yeah, I mean, that was flying directly in the face of Victorian-era cult of motherhood that really built up a woman's entire identity in her role as a mother. And Lee Eric Schmidt, who wrote Consumer Rights, The Buying and Selling of American Holidays, wrote that in the 1910s and 20s, and often thereafter, Mother's Day served as a kind of solace for many American Christians, Protestants, and Catholics alike, who feared that that new womanhood was threatening the very institution of motherhood, domesticity, and the family. So basically, this was a way that, you know, some more conservative people saw to bring focus back to this role of the woman in the home taking care of the kids in her rightful place, they would say. Yeah, and at the time, a lot of people were saying, you know, this was as people were moving to cities, clustering in in urban locations away from their families. And at the time, in 1915, Susan Tracy Rice, in her book, get ready for it, Mother's Day, its history, origin, celebration, spirit, and significance as related in prose and verse, says that the holiday is needed because of the growing lack of tender consideration for mothers among worldly-minded, busy, grown-up children. So if that wasn't a guilt trip, I don't know what was. Well, the ultimate irony with a lot of this and, and how it really gains steam is that even though it roots back to these women and their pacifism, it's ultimately war propaganda in World War One that helps launch it into this huge national thing. In World War One, mothers were organizing for peace and they were not very interested in helping the war effort. And this is something historically with women, um, you know, being more active in peace movements and especially moms who don't want to see their children going off to war and possibly being killed. But the government ended up using propaganda to show that real mothers, quote unquote, knew the true love for their country and their sons meant sacrificing their children. And in 1918, General Pershing said he wanted every soldier and officer to write a letter home on Mother's Day to, quote, carry back our courage and our affection onto the patriotic women whose love and prayers inspire us and cheer us on to victory, which I'm sure Anna Jarvis would have just... (laughs) I don't even know what she would have done. She would have burned Pershing's house down or something. <laughs> she had known. And sprinkled it with those celluloid flower buttons. Yes. <laughs> it's um, going to be highly flammable. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, they melt. It would cover it in a weird coating. Anyway. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, (laughs) then I I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rose water collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. 
Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them. So that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. Okay, the new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman have never been more hilarious as America's favorite moms turned gangsters, Beth, Ruby, and Annie. Already this season, there have been some big twists and breathtaking surprises. The fans love it, and the critics do, too. Variety calls good girls addictive and audacious. Entertainment Weekly says it's just what you need, and Rotten Tomatoes certifies good girls 100% fresh. So, if you've missed any of the new season, get yourself online and stream it now. And Sundays on NBC, watch it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises. So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone. The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime. Yeah, so Mother's Day, you know, relatively new holiday. Father's Day did not catch on as quickly. One holiday that people tried to get instituted that ended up fizzling out was Parents' Day. And it's something that fizzled out and continued to fizzle out throughout the 20th century. Yeah, people have tried really hard to cram Parents' Day down our throats. Nope, we are not having it for whatever reason. In the early 1920s, this New York radio personality, Robert Spiro, who I think was called Uncle Bob, uh, sponsored the first gathering. But it ended up fizzling out after 1939 when he retired from organizing it. And one of the, the big reasons why Parents' Day never caught on was because it didn't have much support among retail because they're like, hey, listen, if we got Mother's Day, then we're going to have a Father's Day. That's two days. People have to buy things. If you cram it into one day, we lose some profits. So they weren't having it. And it just never caught on enough to become a true social movement. But Anna Jarvis, (laughs) oh yes, might have been one of the reasons why Spiro kicked it off to begin with. Yeah. Uh, in 1923, Spiro's New York Committee for the Celebration of Mother's Day, not Parents' Day, Mother's Day, was prevented from sponsoring a Mother's Day parade and meeting at the City College of New York. Why? Because Anna Jarvis the Younger, by then widely recognized as the founder of Mother's Day and the president of the Philadelphia-based Mother's Day International Association, put a halt to his festivities, saying that Spiro had no right to hold a parade or even celebrate because it was her holiday. Yeah, it was. I mean, because she was seriously trying to keep it from getting any bigger. And so Spiro was like, oh. Okay, you don't want me to have this Mother's Day celebration? I'm going to make my own holiday called Parents' Day. And he wasn't alone. Um, Henry Woodward Hulbert had urged a home day in 1916 to honor the whole family. And then in 1929, the publisher of Parents' Magazine, George Hecht, pushed for Parents' Day as well. Um, And back then, interestingly, for Parents' Magazine, the readership was both men and women. But when in 1939... Spiro started to step down from organizing Parents' Day, the Parents' Magazine publisher ended up siding more with Mother's Day because by that point, the readership was skewing female. Right, so whatever you got to do for circulation, Hecht. 
So the Parents' Day movement gained momentum in the 1930s after a New York state assemblyman introduced a bill to establish the holiday. But like we said, it just never gained traction. They never got more than about 20,000 people coming to these big events in New York. And it's interesting to look at whether it's an attack on mothers because at different points in history, mothers have been accused of making sons soft and for smothering their children. And oftentimes, like around World War One, if soldiers weren't very successful, Mothers were blamed for, you know, making them too soft as they grew up. The uh, Parents' Day campaign actually reached its zenith during the Depression when women were regularly blamed for men's problems. Yeah, a lot of times the high unemployment among the guys was, you know, blamed on women for, I I guess, costing too much money, (laughs) having too many children. All those shoes. Yeah. And in 1931, Spiro announced that the annual celebration of Parents' Day would be held in Central Park on Mother's Day. Come on, Spiro. Come on, Spiro. Yeah, he said it's a reminder that both parents should be honored, and you shouldn't divide love and affection because it weakens the home. You should honor both parents. And it even had a slogan, a kiss for mother, a hug for dad. Yeah, but uh, even though they had a catchy slogan and and decent turnouts at Central Park, um, it just, like we said, it never really caught on. Once he uh, stepped down in 1939, the entire thing just sort of fizzled out. In 1994, notably, President Clinton did declare the last Sunday in July to be Parents' Day, um, and he didn't use any kind of gendered rhetoric. But, uh, again, I don't I don't think I've heard of anyone who celebrates Parents' Day. No, and then it's, it's just interesting to see how something that seems so innocent, like a holiday where you celebrate your parents, can be so political because there was Clinton who didn't use any gendered rhetoric, like we said, and, you know, made it a very inclusive holiday that, you know, could celebrate any number of types of families. And then George W. Bush used a Parents' Day declaration to promote, quote unquote, traditional families and all of the political hullabaloo that comes along with that. So because by traditional, you mean heterosexual mom plus dad and a right. It was definitely used as a platform of sorts for his views. So I guess we might as well just stick with Mother's Day and Father's Day so that nobody gets angry. Now, I did like how uh, in the article for Bitch Magazine called Parent Trap by Erica Freak, where she traces the history of Mother's Day, she points out that in 1960, the Society for the Appreciation and Preservation of Spouses which that sounds like a fun society, Mm -hmm. called for Mother's Day to be moved to February and extended to a whole week. I'm not sure why they wanted it to be in February. I don't know if they were like, let's just coincide it with Valentine's Day and take a week off when it's cold anyway. But yeah, they were like, the husband should do all of the chores that that the wife normally does during that week. Well, okay, that is a great point about the whole thing of, you know, we celebrate Mother's Day by relinquishing her chore duty in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And so there was a study published in Gender Issues in 2008 that looked at how Mother's Day and Father's Day tend to reinforce these traditional, there's that word again, gender roles. Yeah, on Mother's Day, families spent more time celebrating. Mothers are more likely to receive gifts than fathers do on Father's Day. And families are more likely to celebrate and go out But why is it more recognized? Perhaps, they write, the greater importance placed on motherhood or because of the centrality of motherhood to women's identity. Or maybe the family perceives that mothers want more attention or are more willing to accept and are even more appreciative of that attention because they point out, like, you know, like like I just said, that idea that 
motherhood is central to women's identity, but Father's Day isn't important and didn't catch on as fast because fatherhood is not as central to men's identities. Right. And whereas Mother's Day is associated with giving mom a day off from her chores, Father's Day is more associated with dad getting a day off from work so that he can hang out with his kids. Right, or go fishing, or whatever whatever it is that men do. Who knows? Um, but so, like you said, you know, mothers are more likely to report they're relieved of chores on the holiday, which is a good thing, right? Right? Kind of? Well, it does highlight the fact that they are normally the woman's responsibility. And then the whole eating out thing, you know, we mentioned at the top of the podcast that everybody goes out to eat on Mother's Day. That just emphasizes the fact that cooking is, again, part of this gendered identity as a mother. They also point out the fact that maybe women aren't doing really rewarding work around the home that they're being relieved from. So it's, they also point out that the routine nature of women's daily chores might make it easier for someone to take them on in her place for a day. Like, okay, well, women can't take on men's work, uh, but men can sure, you know, load the dishwasher one night. Kristen wouldn't let him. No. <laughs> Y'all know how I'm particular about my dishwasher being organized. It's sadly true. <laughs> um, but the sad thing was that these researchers found was that mothers did not enjoy their mom's day celebrations as much as dads did. And their theory was that maybe it's because motherhood is still considered the woman's primary identity and vocation. And mother's expectations might be too high for this one magical day off. Whereas, like you said, the man's identity is not so closely tied to whether or not he has kids. So he's less invested in Father's Day. He's like, oh yeah, okay, this is cool. And so his expectations might be a little bit lower for that fishing trip or playing catch or working on the car, <laughs> mowing the lawn. Being sweaty. Hey, brownie man. Anyway, so looking at chores, though, traditional mothers, quote unquote traditional mothers, who weren't relieved of chores on Mother's Day were unhappier than those who were. Okay, makes sense. But relief from chores did not affect, quote unquote, modern mothers. And they write that it could be that traditional mothers have a heavier chore burden to begin with, or that chores are becoming less tied to the identities of non-traditional women. So the acknowledgement might be less important. It might be like, we're all chipping in around the house. It doesn't matter so much that you're filling the dishwasher for a day. Yeah, and they, and they use traditional versus modern, these researchers did, to delineate between women whose work was really just central to the home and women who worked more outside of the home. And they also looked at um, couples that were more egalitarian to see if that had any influence on their the, the gendered aspects of their Mother's versus Father's Day celebrations. And it really didn't seem to make any difference. So what would Anna Jarvis think about all this? If you leave the house on Mother's Day for anything but church. No good. God help you. I wonder if she likes Seminole Cake and Marzipan. Marzipan. She, she probably thinks that Seminole Cake and Marzipan is too happy. Probably. Too indulgent. Yeah. It's tied to, to too many bakery profits, perhaps. Um, but, okay, so we there is uh, some people have some trouble with those uh you know those those generals being just reinforced and reinforced every year on mother's day and father's day although i got to say if i had kids i'd look forward to mother's day i'd look forward to any day that someone wants to take me out for food <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> i just look forward to food 
in general. Speaking of low expectations, <laughs> all you have to do is put food in front of my face and I'm pretty happy about it. Just bring me like a stack of sandwiches on crunchy bread. Ooh, I'm kind and of... leave me alone. <laughs> so you're you're a little more cut out for Father's Day. Yeah, probably. It sounds like. Instead of working on the car, I'm working on the sandwich. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure. And, and none of this is a call to end Mother's Day, but it is fascinating to see how the holiday began and how it really saddened its founder, Anna Jarvis. She mm-hmm. would be horrified at the fact that it is now a $16 billion holiday. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And she would be so angry with me because I'm going to go buy my mother some flowers. I'm making that macaroni pasta bracelet. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but what do mothers want? Because the thing is, Jarvis might have been on to something about the whole not spending money on mom. Mm-hmm. Because according to a poll conducted by Mother Company, yes, that is a, a business, they found that what women want for Mother's Day is just well-behaved children. Yeah, 54% of the women polled said well-behaved kids was what they wanted. Only 3% said they wanted a purchased gift like roses, chocolate, or brunch. And I'm like, who are you people? Buy me brunch any day of the week. (laughs) For any meal. (laughs) Yeah, they wanted the the well-behaved kids followed by time to themselves, a homemade card, or then, yeah, the stuff that you can spend money on. So maybe we should pay more attention to old Jarvis. I guess. I don't know. I'm looking at this. I I think this applies more to people with young children because I know my mother wants me to move back in with her. Like, that's how much she wants me to be at the house. So I don't think she wants more time to herself on Mother's Day. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm sure sure the, the, the entire experience of Mother's Day is much different when you, when you have smaller children. Yeah. In the house. Well, so let's hear from listeners now about your best Mother's Day or maybe your worst. What do you really want that you never get? Are you... Are you in search of time to yourself, some quiet time? Are you looking for a uh, reference alert? Are you looking for a, like a Claire Huxtable room to yourself, like what her husband built her on the Cosby show? Is that what you want in your life? I would just like to be friends with Claire Huxtable. Yeah, that would be a good Mother's Day present. Brunch with Claire Huxtable. How Heck about yeah. that for a Mother's Day? That'd be pretty cool. Well, write to us. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your emails. You can always Facebook us or tweet us at Momstuff Podcast. And we're going to read a couple of your letters. But first... Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, (laughs) then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's Rosewater Collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rosewater because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them, so that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Here's the thing. Saving money with GEICO is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock. 
he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. And now, back to our letters. I have one here from Anne about our administrative assistance episode. She says, hello. Hello, Anne. I'm a fairly new fan of your podcast, and after listening to your show on secretaries, I felt the need to chime in. My very first grown-up job out of college was as an executive assistant at a local advertising website. So far, it has been my only experience in a secretarial position, and so far, it has also been the only job where I saw sexism in action. However, I feel like that particular brand of sexism had more to do with the industry I was working in, nightlife advertising, than with how I was treated as not only the sole employee in a secretarial position, but also the only female staff member for at least half the time I was employed there. Some examples of the sort of sexism I ran into were one time when my boss decided the winner of tickets to a water park Memorial Day party by looking only the female entrance up on Facebook and picking the one who looked best in a swimsuit, or how answering the office phone became my responsibility because the same boss said it would be better to have a woman's voice answering the phone. Apparently it was supposed to be more friendly. There was also no shortage of clients asking for scantily clad, busty ladies to adorn their event poster, many of which I had to approve and pick up at the printers. Though, for the record, I never was asked to get anybody coffee. So thanks for the story, Anne. Well, I've got one here from Madison, and she is studying in Morocco right now. She's a gender studies major. And she writes, I know this is digging way back into the past, but I wanted to write you about your catcalling podcast. I was re-listening to it because I'm in Morocco right now and the catcalls are out of control here. It's a sign of masculinity to be able to catcall in at least three languages and men seem to have nothing better to do than make some kind of comment or just leer at you as you walk by. I have been catcalled as I walk through the market, from bicycles, cars, while walking home, and once from a dump truck by men of varying ages, as in a age 8 up to about 60, although it's predominantly young men that do it. It has nothing to do with being Western. It happens to Moroccan women as well. It really boils down to women being second-class citizens here. I've talked to Moroccans about it, and a few have acknowledged that it's wrong, and certainly none of the women appreciate it. One man had the audacity to tell a room full of women that he catcalls because women like it. He, however, did say that if someone catcalls his sister or girlfriend, he thinks it's wrong. There's an interesting disconnect here. We can in no way respond to the street harassment here. That's just not done, and we are more likely to get aggressive responses. This is also not something that is a matter of public discourse, and it has such deep-rooted cultural ties that it's hardly thought of as an issue. So, thanks for writing in from Morocco. And, um, yeah, I, I can imagine that that would get very exhausting getting around there. Um, so thanks to everyone, too, who's written into momstuffatdiscovery.com. You can email us. You can find us on Facebook, where we're up to all sorts of fun things all the time. You can follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. You can even find us on Tumblr at stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. And... Last but certainly not least, you can watch us now on YouTube. That's right. Stuff Mom Never Told You has a brand new YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash stuff mom never told you. And while you're at it, 
you should check out our podcasting pals, Josh and Chuck from Stuff You Should Know, because they're on YouTube as well. They're at youtube.com slash stuff you should know. So lots to do. Check us all out. And if you still have time, head over to our website. It's HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.